steep cam we made the first dip. And uh, the summation screen. Um, if you make the dip too deep, the screams will continue as the whole car goes over the edge and destroys everything. They dared to study him, to probe him, to tempt him with the lure of a woman's beauty, thinking that mere chains could hold in check the primeval forces that surged and roiled within this strange being from the dawn of time. They dared to put him on display with the other denizens of the deep, while thousands came to marvel and wonder. You know, I, I pity him sometimes. He's so alone. Primal. <laughs> Scream. Hello and welcome to Primal Scream, a triple R film criticism show and podcast. Where am I? Where are we indeed? I'll get to that in a second. I am your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the studio are Sally Christie. This is very similar, but a little bit different tonight, isn't it, Paul? Just a little. And Flick Ford. Hello. And Emma Westwood. I don't think I'm meant to be here. I thought you I was, are. I thought I was on Plato's cave. But anyway. What year is this? Um, so the keen-eared amongst you might have noticed something a little different at the top of the show. We have a new name. After nine fabulous years as Plato's cave, steered by the brilliant Thomas Caldwell, Josh Nelson, Tara Judah, and so many others since, we've decided, given we've established an almost entirely new lineup over the last year, and as we'll be introducing some subtle structural changes to the show for 2020 that it was time for a rebrand, a reboot in movie parlance, a reimagining. Uh, reanimation. The... <laughs> reanimation. <laughs> the reanimator. <laughs> we're so reanimated. I'm not. Get... Neither am I. <laughs> Get yourself to a sideshow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we are the same show you know and love, but with a new identity, befitting the newish voices hosting it. So given we're reintroducing ourselves to you under the primal screen banner, we should introduce us, reintroduce ourselves. So we'll just whip round and say who we are with a quick bio. Uh, you know, one sentence, Pracy, you know, gun to your head. Paul, who you are didn't you? tell me that we had to do this. <laughs> I'm really not This is all part of the new show. We just um, kept, kept guessing. Yeah. Okay. To, to, it's Mad Libs. Top of your head, uh, um, Sally Christie. Oh, I'm Sally Christie. I used to co-host Plato's Cave, a show on Triple R. <laughs> now I'm co-hosting Primal Screen. And it's going to take me a little while, I think, to move from screen, not saying primal scream, but we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Um, I uh, also call myself a film critic in some aspects and an educator in other aspects. Um, I don't know. I'm really put on the spot. Okay. <laughs> Flick, yeah. you, go. Film critic and educator uh, is fine. Um, yeah, I am Flick Ford. I am also a film reviewer and uh, also a PhD candidate in film studies. Uh, what else do I do that's film related? I'm part of Melbourne Cinematheque and I... Oh, gosh. This... I should also say <laughs> I that I'm, I'm part of Cinemaniacs as well. Yes, yes you are on the board for I'm Cinemaniacs. I'm part of Cinemaniacs, so shout out to cinemaniacs.com.au yeah. if you want to see our next screening, which I'm introducing. It's coming up basic soon. instinct, basic people. Instinct. And Cinemaniacs are a Melbourne film collective. Uh, that uh, screen excellent films uh, ten month, once a month, ten months a year. Happening 15th of November, if you want to come along. 15th of November? <laughs> oh, no, February. <laughs> oh, I'm still stuck in last. It's a really <laughs> early February. plug. Jeez, February. this yeah. show is starting well. <laughs> Emma Westwood. <laughs> Me. Yes, uh, former co-host of Plato's Cave. Not really co-host of Primal Screen. I'm just here as a, a little bit of a fill-in. Tonight. Well, first al- new f- first alternate. Yeah, I'm the first alternate. I'm just setting up um, uh, the the kind of vibe of uh, the people who drop in, which is probably me or Cerise Howard, who people will know from Plato's Cave as well, and uh, Lisa Kovacevic. She'll probably be popping in sometimes. So uh, we're not on the regular roster as such, but. Um, uh, yeah, because we're busy doing other things this year. We're doing but a little. We're doing a little switcheroo, aren't we? We're Emma? doing a little switcheroo, be, a little bit of um, you know musical chairs <laughs> this yeah. year. Because you're writing a couple of film books. I up. am. I am. I bride, bride of Frankenstein. Not Bride of Reanimator. Well, there's been <laughs> Reanimation already spoken about to to know. Doing that. 
and a book on seconds, which I'm just finishing, which we spoke about last year on um, Plato's Cave. We did indeed. Yeah. At your behest, I believe. Yes, yeah, secret behest. Yeah, that was... Yeah, it was none- um, yeah. None too subtle. I, uh, wanted, I wanted I wanted all your to probe your minds about it, but yes, pleased to be here, guys. And then what a wonderful theme song! I think you better tell everybody where it comes from. Well, it's the uh, the theme to the Dario Argento classic Tenebrae, which has yes. been remixed for uh, primal screen purposes with a few choice quotes added by our esteemed producer Lisa Kovacevic. I think she's going to do more to it, just mm. so people know. This is the first iteration. Yes, this was the. Uh, it will undergo more uh, brain surgery as we as we go on. <laughs> so from next, so um, so uh, the show's uh, new format. It'll be much the same as as the Plato's Cave that you know and love. Um, from next week, we'll be opening the show with a short recap of week's movie news. But we're using that time today to reintroduce ourselves to to you, our fine audience. Um, then, as always, we'll be reviewing two new films each week, as well as spotlighting retrospective films. But this year, inspired by Sally's amazing uh, chat with John Waters last year, we'll occasionally be throwing the odd interview into the mix as well, chatting to filmmakers, film festival programmers, and more. So we bond, uh, we, 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 we bear, um, bear, is that the word? Bid, bid a sad farewell to the Cape Plato's Cave moniker. Which, but it will forever remain in our hearts. The primal screen era begins tonight. And to kick off our new era as primal screen, we'll be kicking off 2020 with our lightning roundup of films we checked out over the summer break. Beginning with. What's this? Ooh, it's a manila envelope. Look. Ooh, can I start over? There's my name on it. Ooh. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, you're served. What did you do? Nothing, I don't know. I can't lie, you're being served. You guys are getting into, I don't know, I'm sorry. Marriage Story is the 11th (laughs) film from, it's my favorite scene in the movie, (laughs) is the 11th film from writer-director Noah Baumbach about an actress, Scarlett Johansson, and a stage director, Adam Driver, who struggle through a grueling New York to Los Angeles divorce that pushes them to their personal extremes. Sally, did you find yourself reeling off a list of things you love about this movie, or have you wanting to move across country to divorce it? (laughs) Uh, I I just really recently saw this. I was very late to the game on Marriage Story. I watched it last week for the first time. Uh, This movie blew my head off. It's incredible. This, God, I I don't want to be the first person speaking on primal screen for 2020 and say, this is what cinema should be. But this is really, I feel, what cinema should be. (laughs) (laughs) It was just... Such incredible, um, such an incredible script. Like, oh, I, I feel there's this and Uncut Gems, which we'll get to a little later, which I feel like I haven't had a great deal of time to process, but gee, this was something else. It felt like, um, felt like cinema from the 60s and 70s. It's so interesting yep. that you see it as like it being cinema because one of the main criticisms I've heard about it, particularly in relation to the award ceremonies, uh, n- nominations, is that up against such like heavy hitters like Parasite and Portrait of, well, Portrait of Lady and Fire <laughs> nominated, but should be, um, <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, the Irishman and these big like epics, the marriage story, marriage story is actually quite restrained. Like it's quite a, it's quite a small film in some ways. It's the performance, like it hasn't got this epic tale like 1917 does. It's got a very simple premise. It's, it's, a, bo- it's a really boring narrative. Yeah, like but it, it's a boring narrative that everybody's heard time and time again. But the way that it is delivered is incredible. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Oh, my I God. Laura Dern. <laughs> She is phenomenal in this apparently, film. Apparently her character is based on Noah Baumbach's, um, the divorce lawyer that his ex-wife Jennifer Jason Lee hired. So <laughs> there's this fantastic sort of, um, well, it's, it's semi-autobiographical film. Mm-hmm. And I just love, I loved it as well. I was really into it. I did find myself um, emotionally exhausted by it. I was meant to go out with friends afterwards and I was like, I think I just need to cancel those times. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing cast. Laura Dern, Ray Liotta, Alan Alda, um, and of course the two leads, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. They're just so good. And it's interesting, we played a little snippet 
of the scene in which Adam Driver is, is served um, <laughs> his divorce papers. But actually, and you were saying that that was your favourite scene from it, Paul. And I really enjoyed that one. But actually, my particular favourite scene from the film is there's this both of the they're going obviously this couple are going through a divorce and they're getting uh rated on how good a parent they are and um adam driver has, <laughs> has the um i forgot what she's called the social worker comes into oh. the kitchen yeah. and that is my favorite scene i could just watch that the knife, the knife trick, trick. Oh. Yeah, the knife oh. trick. it's such a powerful so weird. i just That's love it it was yeah. it, like I, I said before this, the the content of this film is nothing new it's very mundane yeah, yeah. but gee there's some moments in this film that are genuinely so funny yeah, like that yeah, but it's absolutely. also exhausting and these points in the film where I didn't feel that I had sided with one character more than another by the end of it I was like at different points yes and no and yes mm. and I think no. that's the way it was meant yeah, to yeah. unfold and it's mm. great writing that, like yeah. such great writing that idea that you know no one's at fault and yeah. um, that these people were uh, actually I thought it, it, it was an amazing um a snapshot of um, artistic personalities mm. and the idea that that at some stage I think one has to defer to the other and that was um, what their relationship was going through, uh, that uh, she had kind of deferred to him and then she wanted to have her moment and both when you have – I actually heard um, uh, Phoebe Cates talk about this with Kevin Klein and how she said there was only – she stepped Where out of the spotlight in an interview with, with her where oh. she said she stepped out of the spotlight because there was only room for one actor in this relationship. Oh. And that really comes out through mm. this, this film, Absolutely. how two very – they both loved each other and I don't think there was any doubt about that, but they just couldn't – It was it, they couldn't work as a, as a couple anymore. Yeah. And I think the love came out – it was beautiful writing, beautiful mm. acting though, and the main, main, amazing thing about it was it was all totally scripted. It yeah. feels like it was um, In, partly improv. It, yeah, but no, totally scripted. Like a John Waters film. <laughs> yes, <Yep>. everything scripted. <laughs> I yeah, I like this. Oh, I didn't love in. it as much as I thought I would. <sighs> and I'm a child of divorce. I am such a soft touch for these kind of films. Like I'm the guy that blue, voted Blue Valentine one of my ten best films of the last decade. I that's a killer, that film. I, yeah, that film <laughs> cut me in half. I felt this film was caught in a weird netherworld between that very real, deeply felt snippets of Life Observed, that stuff that feels improvised but isn't, and a little bit overwritten, overscored melodrama. The big fight that everyone talks about, I felt like that wasn't this couple. That felt like another couple. Oh, no, it, it was didn't amazing, feel like them. It didn't How feel like them. How did you say that? No. I was no, sucked that in. was not. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I wept. I, I wept. Oh wow! No, I, that's the thing. I did not shed a tear. I did. It was. I, I liked a lot about it. Like the knife trick, the the scene I played earlier. All the lawyers are great. Alan Alda was my particular favorite. Yeah, he's, he's so, so beautiful. beautiful. He's so calming. Yeah. Yeah. He was <laughs> like instantly calmed by his yeah. presence. It's like, just leave. You know, keep him around. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I just, it's that sort of thing. I just feel like if it wanted. It, it didn't quite decide whether it was an observational study or a plot-driven melodrama. Like there was, there's a there's a scene at the end where the child finds something and 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 that I, felt, I, did, I didn't love that. Felt like a conceit. It yeah. felt like there's no way that character would leave this thing out. That was the one part of this film that I didn't particularly love was that scene. Yeah, yeah. I was right by the at the end. I was completely sold by then. I, I yeah. Have we had the being alive moment when yeah, he sings that, being alive? See that by too that. didn't. I that, loved that, it. Thunked, that thunked a bit for me too. Oh, Paul, do you know why? It didn't work for you because you weren't engaged before that. If you were on the journey, then that it just seals the deal. And and last thing before we jump into the next film is that I also felt like um, the uh, it, it, I felt much more sympathy for Johansson than for Driver. I felt his character. I felt that Noel Baumbach was being a little too self-flagellating in that, and and that I think he really did put the blame on himself because um, Driver is is a much more selfish person than her in this film. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I've heard the reports of the former. Yeah, right. The other way around. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't feel as even-handed as, say, Blue Valentine. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but, but the performances are great and, and everything else. But, yeah, I'm, I'm the one slightly odd one out. Triple R. The next film we saw this summer was... Poor Jojo. What's wrong, little man? Hi, Adolf. Want to tell me about that rabbit incident? What was all that about? 
They wanted me to kill it. I'm sorry. I couldn't. Don't worry about it. I couldn't care less. But now they call me a scared rabbit. Let them say whatever they want. People used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's going to get us all killed. Jojo Rabbit is the sixth feature from Tiger Waititi and based on the apparently much more serious novel Caging Skies by Christine Lunens. This is a self-proclaimed anti-hate satire set in World War II that follows a lonely German boy, Johannes Jojo Betzler, Roman Griffin Davis, whose worldview is turned upside down when he discovers his single mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, is hiding a young Jewish girl, Elsa, Thomas and Mackenzie, in their attic. Aided by only by his idiotic imaginary friend, Adolf Hitler, played by Taika Waititi, <laughs> Jojo must confront his blind nationalism. Emma, did this... Oh, you're going to me first. Yeah, All I'm right. throwing it okay. around. Yep. Did this have you saying hail up and down the street? <laughs> or have or have you questioning your belief in Taika Waititi? Emma's uh, Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet little Hitler. <laughs> It was um, a film I was looking forward to and I enjoyed, but it didn't really have the punch that I was expecting from it. I know that a a lot of people have um, really loved it, but... um, yeah, kind of. Um, if I if I be completely honest, I got a little bit sleepy at one stage <laughs> in the middle of it, and may have closed my eyes at one point. Dozed off. <laughs> Dozed off. I think that um, Taika Waititi. I, I love Taika. Look, I love his his approach and everything. I think he's he's yet to really hit his mark, though. I feel that he's got he's he kind of bubbles at a certain level and never quite pitches. Above that, this is this is a difficult tone to. Uh, I think if you you get the the you know the pricey of the film that we've just given, um, it is a difficult film to pull off. Um, once again, though, it comes alive through his direction of children, and um, and that's the definitely the strongest point. If we didn't, as much as I, I love Scarlett Johansson, we've got a bit of a theme going. Scarlett Johansson's There's lots theme, of double ups happening. Uh, y- yeah, is, yeah. As much as I did really enjoy what she was doing, and it has a level of farce about it, which I, I guess it has to in order to sell um, what it's doing like with this kind of strange um imaginary hitler friend that he has played by taika watiti drop dead adolf i like to call it drop dead adolf yeah yeah. (laughs) with a maori playing um, adolf hitler which is uh, amazing in itself um the children uh you know the the way that he brings out comedy through children is um really the appeal but it's this this kind of soft sweet appeal it's never anything that Hmm elevates to wow cinema. I feel like that is with all of his films. Mm. And for me, that is the appeal for his films is that I'm going to go in and see something that's nice and gentle. Um, And funny. And funny and sweet. And there's going to be a bit where I cry and I'm probably going to come away feeling okay about things. Um, What is it with David Bowie and films about Hitler, though? (laughs) <laughs> really? Well, he did spend some time in Germany. Yeah, you know, well, there so. you go. Is this, your, is this your next Post. book, Emma? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, in I Berlin. The Hitler years. But um, that's really, you know, I, I really like that about Taika Waititi's films is that they are just going to be something that's quite gentle. Even when I went in to see Jojo Rabbit, um, it, I know it's a film about Hitler and I know it's a film about these awful things, but I didn't have that expectation that it was going to be a really hard-hitting film. It, it's called Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. It delivered everywhere that I felt that it needed to. I thought it was very sweet. I think it's nice that there is a film about Hitler that children can go and see, you know, that is quite child-friendly. Um, and that we have a little right-wing fascist child that we like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's made fun of. It's yeah. of But it's, it's also, kind of... I think that kind of echoes a lot of kids these days getting on social media yeah. and being pro-Trump and all that sort of thing. Like yep. it does have a little bit of a parallel yeah. today. Yeah. Actually, my main criticism of this film is that I, I maybe had too high expectations for it. I didn't actually find it funny. Um, I sound awful, but I, yeah, I didn't, I I didn't get into it. I sweet. I don't know that I found it. Really funny. I remember mm. the first time I saw What We Do in the Shadows was when it screened here at Miff 
however many years ago. Yeah. And I came out of the cinema and my face hurt. Really? Because yeah. I'd just been so laughing. So I didn't have that experience for 90 with minutes that. straight. I wasn't as into that, but Hunt for the Wilder People, that was the See, one. See, I didn't yeah, like Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, I wasn't crazy yeah, about that either. Yeah, I didn't like that. Boy, I love. Boy, yeah. Yeah. Boy yeah. is beautiful. Boy and what we do in the shadows of my two. Yeah, I'm with you, Paul. Um, I no, don't love the, Hunt for the Wilder People. The big the big criticism of what we do in the shadows, it needed to have, um, they shouldn't have had Transylvanian accents. They should have had Kiwi accents. Have. They should have had mm. Kiwi That's accents. That would have been more funny. It would have been <laughs> yeah. so much true. funnier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But there was the, the, yeah. the guy that they turned that did because he was like, oh, I can't have chips anymore. They're my favourite food. That was See, one of my, the funniest bits. Like yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess. <laughs> but back to Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's a misstep. I, I, I yeah. kind of, I'm, I'm not into what it. What about I, you, Paul? I, I'm much like you, Em. I found mm. it funny, but I don't think it worked. Mm. Um, I think it's it's going for this substantial statement, but it never really gets anything beneath, hey, isn't Nazism dumb and the person you hate is just like you? Like, worthy messages, but they're not quite the bullets of truth that are probably going to blast through our current political landscape. Uh, yeah, I just think it's a bit of a soft... It's a very soft touch. I think the most, the most confronting scene is the opening credits, which mm. plays the Beatles in German over yeah, images of um, Third Reich rallies and sort of... Um, uh, contrast the popularity of the Third Reich with Beatlemania. Mm. I thought that was quite an interesting yeah, yeah. That idea. That was very evocative. Yes. Yep. The, 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 I think there's some really uh, structural issues with the film, though, because that first half feels like a completely different film to the rest of the film. Mm. Like, there's such strong performances, particularly from the child actors, like Thomasine McKenzie, is that her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's phenomenal. And yeah. it's like that story is very interesting, but it just feels like a separate film to the what we uh, introduced. Mm. Yeah, sorry, mm. I interrupted no, <laughs> no. you, but that was just... Yeah. No, yes. no, there's a bit of a... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit tonally not quite there, and it's just kind of... Yeah, it just sort of feels a bit like a pillow fight. It's enjoyable and energetic, but lacking in any real impact. But it is my favourite... But highly erotic. <laughs> I should go out on that. But this is my favourite of the two ScarJo performances. I love her in this. I think yeah, she's, she's wonderful. Yeah. Um, so that's Jojo Rabbit. Now, the uh, third film we saw uh, this summer and is... Elle a épuisé déjà un peintre avant vous, avec une idée simple en vérité. Elle a refusé de poser. Il n'a jamais vu son visage. Pourquoi refuse-t-elle d'être peinte Parce qu'elle refuse ce mariage. Vous allez devoir la peindre sans qu'elle les sache. Elle pense que vous êtes une compagne de promenade pour quelques jours. Elle s'est réjouie. That was one for our French-speaking audiences. <laughs> Uh, I don't know this film. Portrait of a Lady on Fire oh, right. is the fourth <laughs> film from Celine uh, Schiama. Uh, is it Schiama or Schiama? I don't know if they I do watched, hard scenes. I watched or... it with Cerise. subtitles. Yeah. It's Cerisia. Um, or, or Sharma. Yeah, Sharma, Sharma, I think. Um, Sharma. Or dubbing. Um, a romantic drama set on an isolated island in Brittany at the end of the 18th century where a painter, Marianne Noémie Merlant, is obliged to paint a wedding portrait of Eloise. Adele Hain- Hainel, uh, a young aristocratic woman betrothed to be married to a Milanese nobleman. Heloise has refused to sit for portraits, all in protest of her upcoming marriage, so Marianne, trying to carve out her own career as a daughter of a famous male painter in France, agrees to paint Heloise's portrait in secret, posing as her companion. But the two women are left alone with only each other and a maid, Sophie. Complications soon ensue as their growing attraction intensifies. Flick. Did you find this curious extrapolation of Titanic's paint me like one of your French girls line <laughs> to be as bewitching as its reputation suggests? <laughs> yes, because this was one of my, well, I think, number one in my top ten films of last year. I can't remember if I... And you put Marriage oh, Story put as Parasite. well? I had Marriage Story in the yep. top ten as well, yeah. But Portrait of a Lady on Fire was definitely in the top three. I can't remember whether it was between Pain and Glory and, and Parasite. But anyhow, it was right up there. I think this is beautiful. I think it's... um. I don't know, I was really moved by this. I saw. I went to a really early morning screening of it and it's just really stuck with me. I think there's some beautiful scenes, um, particularly not just between the two women at the centre of this love affair, but also with um, 
the maid, I've forgotten her name. Is She's it great Lana in it. Or Marianne. Um, she, mm. Oh, Sophie. So she she just added so much to it as well. And I loved the dynamic between the three women and just these beautiful exchanges. And um, I, I thought it was a wonderful comment on um, agency and, and the way in which desire is kind of um, – just pushed into these corners and 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 it brushes up against questions of agency because she doesn't really have any choice mm. and that idea of um rebellion in those spaces was really fascinating to me i love this film and i highly recommend everyone to go watch it this the idea of agency and you were just talking about the maid um how they played it out almost in a comedic fashion the way she was trying to um force herself to have a termination yeah. at that time yeah. um which was you know the abortions weren't what they were. It was more that of taking elixirs and, you know, trying to hang off railings and everything mm. to do it. So they, 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 there was a number of interesting feminist elements to this film and uh, and that idea of agency was played out not just on one one plane. But probably what really appealed to me about this film was more the idea of, um, and, and I, and I love this, theme in cinema which is about voyeurism and mm. um and watching and yes. and and this relationship was really allowed to develop because uh one of the characters was there to surreptitiously watch basically so um it created a rapport between them because one was looking the other was saying you're looking at me why are you looking at me that way and and it, it and it may not have happened if not for the way that the situation was actually you know that that situation was facilitated through her not wanting to have a portrait um painted and i thought it was a really clever device to mm. to create this in uh, to, to become a film about the female gaze, you've got a film where one wo- woman is literally looking at yes. it, trying to commit another to a memory. It's, mm. it's wonderful. From sight. It's, yeah. it's just a, oh, a great example of meta detailing in, in this film and how it comes out. For a lot of people, though, I think it could be too slow. Mm. Um, it didn't impact on me in that way, but I know that a lot of viewers will feel that about it. Yeah, I really dug. I don't like romantic dramas as a rumor. Like, I just can't. They just slide off me. This one came so close um, for me to being one of the few romantic dramas I love. Um, I really, really dug this. I loved the the lead. I loved all four cast members. I loved the the um, uh, the relationship. I loved the script. I loved the kind of the reality and and how it was all you know in gestures and looks and and that exploration of the, the female gaze. Um, but for me, it was almost the I, one thing kept pulling me out of it. It's like there's one reason why it's not hitting me in the gut. And I realised it, it there's a pristine element to it that's almost airbrushed. Like it looks like a Vanity Fair cover shoot. Oh, my God, yes. And there's all these sort of things like you, you think about films like The Duelists or Barry Lyndon and they can look like paintings but still show the grit that's beneath. And I feel like this one just – it was too – and it was like everything else in this film is is evoking such a reality. And goes for this, uh, this such this this kind of giving this sort of classic romantic drama a reality I hadn't really seen in many films before, and then this kind of Vanity Fair veneer just kind of kept us at a little kept me at a little bit of a remove, and, and I think that was kind of my main w- one issue with it. However, the ending is um, tremendous, and the um, that almost like made me forget that quibble yeah like, like the ending this was because i was no fan of call me by your name this is the call me by your name ending that works yeah um it's just it's one unbroken shot and it's just beautiful i, I think that um i would have been interested to see one or both of the characters to be more unconventionally beautiful maybe more charismatically beautiful mm. and that's the oh, to temptate we all want to look at beautiful people in cinema i you, guess one could say the maid is is uh, well Sophie more is kind of uh, more around the uh, the, 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 the central yeah, love yeah, yeah. yeah because they are absolutely gorgeous at a time when yes. maybe someone would have had rotten teeth that's what i'm saying <laughs> do you know what like, i mean but even slightly like <laughs> yeah. pristine white teeth their skin is flawless yeah. like it just looks like it's, it's literally a vanity fair cover shoot and that was the only thing that just kept me at this remove that there was the like the one step that that kept me from believing this world yeah but and everything have, else about it i loved like you, the script yeah. and the and the characters and everything was just sublime and you can have charisma without 
you know, traditionally good looks. Like, you know, John Malkovich in yeah, Dangerous totally. Liaisons, for example. <laughs> John Malkovich is one of the leads. Uh, <laughs> in a lesbian drama. <laughs> Wonderful. But it's beautiful. It's a beautiful... Hey, <laughs> don't cast him in a mould. <laughs> it's a gorgeous film. Triple. Ah. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, Emma Westwood, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now back to our summer movie recap where we'll look at the next film we saw. Josephine! Yes, dear. Is there a reason you stopped reading Belsham? I'm sorry. I'll continue. You mind yourself, dearie. Someday you'll need me and you'll wish you had behaved better. Thank you, Aunt March, for your employment and your many kindnesses, but I intend to make my own way in the world. Oh, well, no, no one makes their own way. Not really. Least of all a woman. You'll need to marry well. But you are not married, Aunt March. Well, that's because I'm rich. Little Women is the second solo-directed feature from Greta Gerwig, the fourth major screen adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's famed 1879 novel of the March family, in particular sisters Joe, Meg, Amy and Beth, who come of age during the American Civil War. Emma, Christopher Columbus, how did Greta Gerwig's <laughs> time-shifting metatextual adaptation have you dreaming of joining the Pickwick Society or seeking solace in the loving arms of your DVD of Gillian Armstrong's 1994 version or Mervyn Leroy's 1949 version or George Cukor's 1933 version? It just keeps on going, doesn't it? I should have watched the other um, uh, Little Women before I, you know, as a bit of a refresher before I saw it because I couldn't really remember um, the details, but... I thought this was capital, basically. Yeah, in in Joe speak. <laughs> in Joe speak. Um, well, this is. I think that nowadays the Little Women is Little Wives. At the same time, the book is the two books combined, and this one weaves in Little Wives as into kind of into the storyline of Little Women. So there's a lot of jumping back and forth in time, which I've heard. Um, some people haven't really liked. I actually thought she did it really well. Um, I was it, it's something that could be incredibly disorientating, but um, I think that in some ways in this, I it kind of contributed to the feel good film of the film. I think it was um, tonally quite right. It wasn't a film that was meant to leave you feeling sort of down and you know flat it, it, it really is the type of film that you know it has you dancing on fairy floss and you know oh the world is wonderful in fact i've seen this twice at the cinema oh wow <laughs> Already? A second time. Yeah, I know. I've been seeing a lot of movies over summer. <laughs> uh, and uh, and it, it, it was just so delightful. I, I think it was – and I'm someone who really isn't into delightful films, let's be honest, you know. <laughs> I've just spent a year with a, probably the bleakest film ever made, Seconds. And um, this is um, – yeah, this this I, lo- I loved. I thought all their performances incredibly, you know, popped incredibly. It's not something that's um, – um, breaking any moulds in any way, but it's just doing what it did well for me. Um, so yay for Greta Gerwig and everyone in this. I mean, Sersha Ronan, I mean, she, this was the role she was born to play, Joe. so she's done it now. Yeah, and Good I, on heard, her. I heard that they're both going to continue that collaborative relationship. So well, that's, that's good exciting. to hear. Because they're, yeah. they're a good duo, uh, Ronan and Greta Gerwig. I, um, I didn't actually get that into the book, so I probably read them when I was um, a, a bit too young. And so I don't have that same sort of background of, of love for the, for the story itself. But I am just happy it exists as a film. I don't know if it's – it's definitely not in my favourite films of the year, but I, I have a real fondness for it. And I love the fact that so much of the film is just dedicated to these really – like a celebration of girlhood but also sisterhood mm. and the way in which it's really a celebration. I heard one reading that was talking about how uh, Timothy Chalamet's uh, character is almost – queered in the in the text in that he wants to be one of the girls and my favorite scene from the film is when he sneaks into their like little the play Pickwick Society. Yeah, yeah yeah and it's such a wonderful and funny scene and yeah. the actresses are so good in that and I think that that's really what 
really draws this um, film home and I, I hope that it does win quite a lot of awards because I think the performances, particularly Florence Pugh, I just mm-hmm. adore her. She can do no wrong. She's brilliant. She, and Florence Pugh is yeah. the woman of the moment, really. She really is. Yeah. It's and so she, exciting to see what she will become yeah. as an actress. And that character yeah. could so easily be really quite unlikable. Yep. She is whiny, but there's mm. enough humor And she does something it. really, really mean. Yeah, she does. It's hard shocked. to come back Why? from. Yeah, absolutely. As, as, as yeah. a writer, that was very hard to come back you from. You could tell so. the writers in the audience yeah, that it go, was like oh. a yeah, yeah. collective intake. That was very harsh, very, very harsh. Yeah. But I, I really, I do, I do have a lot of love for this film. If not, um, it's just not. Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. But mm. I, I love that it exists. And um, yeah, I just got really into it. And I think that I, uh, well, you were saying before about the way in which Greta Gerwig has played around with um, temporality in it, and I think that is possibly the the strongest point about this film that she actually changes she puts her own stamp on the narrative through changing around the sequence of events and when you find out information Mm. which I think is so clever because it adds so much more depth to the relationships between the characters and particularly I actually don't want to give away any spoilers but I think that it's interesting. Are there spoilers for this story? Yeah. Well, if you haven't read the book, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's very episodic. I mean, the even book too. Referred and to the in film. Friends, and you know. Yeah. <laughs> I know it is. It is something hard to. Yeah. 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 Put the spoilers out there, but mm. yeah. I yeah. It's funny. I did a. I, I had no familiarity with this story other than Joey reading it in that Friends episode. <laughs> so I did a. I did a recap. I watched the '49 version, the '94 oh, version, did you really? and this version within like a four-day gap. Wow. And what like... about when Mo read it in The Simpsons? <laughs> Mo reads it to homeless, uh, homeless children in The Simpsons. Yeah, as well. There yeah. you go. <laughs> One more to add to your list. Yeah. <laughs> Got to track that down now. Yeah. All the versions. I, I feel like the best version of this book is a Frankenstein of all the versions. I think all the versions do one or two things particularly well. The, I've got to say, I am one of those people. The time jumping thing really bothered me early. Oh, really? Because yeah. I felt like, how are any of these big moments going to hit? Like all of the, you're diffusing everything before we get there. It's like, oh. Um, but she does, what I like about what she does is um, uh, she really gets into that latter part of the book, which the other movies don't get into very much. Mm. And really explores that, um, particularly the between the sisters. Book. Yeah. The second book. And it's, um, well, they're kind of sold as one, aren't they? They I know are now. They, were in they two are volumes, now, but they were written as, as two volumes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I just found that um, yeah, I really loved um, a lot of the stuff. I feel in particular what this film did really well. The relationship, with, I thought it had a really good Beth, and I thought it did the Beth and Mr. Lawrence relationship. It was the most touching yeah. of, of any adaptation. Chris Cooper, who I didn't oh, recognise, instantly. Yeah, the best, the first time I've ever liked Timothy Timothy Chalamet in what? anything. I thought he he's was an angel. Oh, he's a no, don't even. But in <laughs> hey, this I film, tell you what, if I, I was. was a, like, if I was 17, oh, I, would, yeah. I would tackle you to the ground and beat you to a pulp for that. I don't get it. I don't get it. If I was my age, <laughs> I would do the same. I feel like a pedophile saying that. He could be my son. So no way would I say that now. But, but in this, I, and I think it's a lot uh, 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 in the way that uh, Gerwig reinvents the, the character of Laurie as like this puckish type character who comes to yeah. sort of spread fairy dust on the marches, like give them information, um, inspiration or annoyance. Mm. whenever yeah. he's needed and I really dug that yeah. I don't think the Joe stuff like I, 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 there's, I'm conflicted because from an auteurist point of view I really love what Greta Gerwig did with both the time jumping and combining the Louisa May Olcott's life with um, um, the story with Joe's yeah. with Greta Gerwig's own life yeah. and sort of and from an auteurist point of view I liked that but I felt it defanged the emotional highs that she'd built up throughout the movie. And when we got to the end, it's sort of like, oh. So I, I think that the, the relationship between Joe and the professor pays off much better in, say, the 94 version, where they don't signal the marriage thing but yet still have the happy ending. They actually do that, mm. walk that line a lot better. Um, did I just give a spoiler? Move on, everybody. Um, <laughs> we'll but, edit it later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to do. But I have yeah. to ask you, Paul, okay, since you're sort of lukewarm but, on... Marriage Story and um, Little Women. No, I like Little Women a lot. Okay, so yeah. no, no, in, in the Bornbach Gerwig relationship, because oh. they are Oh, partners. Little Women's the winner. 
Little Women. Little Women's yeah. the winner. No, there I'm you all, go. Yeah, no, I, wow. I did find this, like, d- besides my misgivings, there's a lot of this film that I just found wonderful. And, yeah, Florence Pugh was brilliant. I thought Emma Watson was terrific as Meg. And her relationship with, Miss, uh, with, with her husband is best explored here than any other version as well. Weirdly, I think this film s- serves the men a lot better than other versions, which mm. is really interesting. Um, yeah, no, I think I, I think Greta Gerwig is a huge talent. And, yeah, like, again, and even the stuff I didn't so much like about this, I really admired from an auteurist point of view. So Little Women is now screening at All Good Cinemas. Uh, the next film we saw was... In your own time, gentlemen. Must be something big if the channel's here. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. 1917 is the eighth feature film from director Sam Mendes, a drama set at the height of the First World War where two young British soldiers, Schofield, George McKay, and Blake, Dean Charles Chapman, are given a seemingly impossible mission. In a race against time, they must cross enemy territory and deliver a message that will stop a deadly attack on hundreds of soldiers, Blake's own brother among them. Did I mention it's all filmed in a way to make it look like one, or, let's face it, two continuous shots? (laughs) Flick, did this one feel like one long descent into hell intentionally? or unintentionally <laughs> oh I don't know the answer to that but look I was most drawn to this film because of the very fact of seeing this digital one take that is I'm you know giving showing off my film nerd colours here but I was really um, keen to see this on the big screen and particularly keen to see how well it would translate um, I enjoyed this a whole lot and I'm kind of surprised myself this is totally a film that my dad would suggest and I would be like nah so <laughs> I was surprised how much I got into it um, I feel like at the time I enjoyed it immensely and I got very moved by the um, uh, the I won't give away anything here, but um, uh, just the emotional trajectory of the characters I got very much into. However, with time, I don't know whether I feel that strongly about the film. I feel like with time I've started to think, what did this film offer um, us? Mm. (laughs) And I'm not sure that I... I'm not sure that I can sit comfortably with the way in which there's a glorification of war... And I don't know if there's enough of an interrogation. There certainly are some really beautifully cinematic and very upsetting scenes in this and very difficult scenes. But there also is this, um, there's a few plot holes and uh, quite a lot of things that don't quite add up. And I don't know, I don't feel, I don't sit easy with the glorification of war. I felt that there was a bit of an unreality about this film. It's um, uh, but that that didn't really take away. That's just that's just a minor criticism, really. It didn't take away from my experience of it. I did inc- I did really enjoy the ride as such, and it's I think so the, thrilling, isn't it? It is a ride. It is a <laughs> it ride, really is and and it's it's a stunning visual effect. I think. Look, Sam Mendes is a beautiful director. Um, Road to Position is one of my favourite films of the last twenty years, and I think he does actually. Um, he, he he's a great visual director, and the the one take effect is not just a gimmick. It, it actually, for me, was part a central part of the narrative without that it would have ended up being uh, I think not as impactful to be totally honest um yeah Mm. and I love the way that these sort of big characters came in in these small roles and they kind of it's like people it's like walking down a corridor this film was like a uh, a continuous corridor of uh, that went through into different rooms and different people turned up at different times and and that was quite an interesting yeah. uh, interesting effect if anything i felt the music was quite intrusive and there was especially at the start and that kind of played mm. on me a bit um but then i think once the the actual the 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 film action got big, then I didn't notice it as much. Yeah, I yeah. agree with the music, yeah. actually. I found that just wasn't – it was a bit too obvious. But actually when you were saying before about all the, the continuous corridors, it actually reminded me of the game Wolfenstein. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <on later. laughs> yes. It's just got a real vibe to it. And because the game, the film is very – it's got a very game-like aesthetic. Mm. Yes, yes, it, it does. does. So mm. I was just watching, and being like, "Oh, this is really similar." Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, that's I've, a good observation, actually. <laughs> I, I gotta say, it's I I lo- like 
there's two things here. There's the film and there's the magic, Roger Deakins' magic trick. Yeah. And the yeah. magic trick is astonishing and yeah. bank that second Oscar and all that. But <laughs> I, I did find it distracting. I did find it, I'm constantly like a magic trick trying to work yeah. out how they did it. And unlike something like Birdman where it seemed to fit into the fabric of what they were doing, like that film's meant to feel like a giant play in a way. It's like their lives are all, this felt like, I don't know, it felt like a trick. Um, and I don't think the stuff, like considering it's a film about World War One, it didn't feel much different than most World War II films I've seen in terms of that certain familiar uh, conceits and tropes. And, and you're right, Flick, there, there are a lot of contrivances there that, you know, a lot of happy, well, not happy, but, you know, like... Ties up too neatly. Yeah, way yeah. too neatly. It's too, far too contrived. Um, I didn't feel it like glorified war. I, I kind of liked the casual human waste of war. Like, you know, you, yeah, they, suppose, see, yeah. they jump into a trench and there's like half a body in there. And the all. trenches were good. Yeah, you they were great. Mean. They were good trenches. But, but I never I never got fully sucked in. You know, I didn't find it fully immersive. I found Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk more immersive and more of a kind of a, a, a suspenseful thing than this. But, you know, as a, Sam Mendes is a very solid director of this sort of thing. I kind of wish he'd go back to doing small dramas, to be honest, because yeah. that's kind of like him doing. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's sort of – it's got a respectful approach, but in the end, yeah, I feel like when you're f- focusing more on the magic trick of the cinematography – that sort of takes away from what it's sort of honouring. So that's 1917, which is screening in all good cinemas. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. Welcome back to Primal Screen on Triple R uh, with Sally Christie, Flick Ford, Emma Westwood and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. So for our final stanza of our back-to-school essay of what we saw in our summer vacation, we'll take a look at uh, the next film. You're a man now. You go out there and show the world. I have myself an indentured servant. Ned Kelly is his name. Shoot him. Make a name for yourself. True History of the Kelly Gang is the fourth feature by Justin Curzel, based on Peter Carey's Booker Prize-winning novel, A Reinvention of the Ned Kelly Story, where he discovers, um, an, uh, which involves an uncompromising army of cross-dressing bandits immortalised for terrorising their oppressors back in Ireland. Nurtured by the notorious bush rangers Harry Power and fueled by the unfair arrest of his mother, Kelly recruits a bunch of warriors to plot one of the most audacious attacks of anarchy and rebellion the country has ever seen. Sally, you've got some thoughts on this one. I had a feeling this might be up your alley. <laughs> this really was up my alley. <laughs> I loved it. Um, I've been waiting, oh God, I think since played at TIFF to see this film, so a really long time and I'm mindful of time at the moment, so I won't bang on about it for too long. This is basically a kind of punk retelling of the Australia's Ned Kelly myth and it is essentially a myth that's really taken with a grain of salt and being completely stretched out here. People um, are very angry about this film. So for my homework this week... I picked out a couple of quotes, people's reviews from IMDb that I really enjoyed after I watched this film. Okay, I'll be really quick, Paul. Maybe I'll just read one. Uh, the Emasculation of Ned Kelly. What a pathetic attempt to shoehorn gay and cross-dressing themes into Australian fake folklore, a complete farce and an affront to Australian history. I love that you almost said then fake law rather than folklore. That's great. Um Sorry, I've just I've just had Sorry. something flash up gonna, at me. It's distracting. Yeah, no, me. it's okay. We're going to drop a film, so let's oh, okay, just talk. Because that deserves yeah, quite. A, yes, a I'm, I'm not going to give one minute to that film. Yeah, yeah, uh, I don't think so. So, um, yeah, so people are really, really outraged by the true history of the Kelly that. gang. Yeah, there's and all these so-called patriots getting really online. delighting me. Another one that I, now that I've got a bit more time, <laughs> yes. I'm going to read a few more of these. Okay, offensive to the legend, all capital letters or ex- three exclamation marks under it. Wearing dresses, no beards, cuddling and kissing each other, having feelings. What the hell is this? Politically correct 21st century world we live in has destroyed the legend with this absolute disgrace. This movie should be banned and removed. But what what is this thing about um, putting Ned Kelly up as some hero? He was a freaking (laughs) criminal. For me, the the myth of Ned Kelly for me is not particularly interesting. Well, um, this this yeah. made me reinterested in it. Oh, okay. I like this. Actually, these terrible reviews are making oh, me want to see it. Yeah. After I watched it, I was just 
in hysterics on IMDb. I'm like, I'm taking these to the air. I just find that the oh, hello, Ned Kelly thing is a little bit of a a farce in itself. Well, there's kind of a Robin Hood aspect of being anti-authority and all that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, It's a very Australian thing and anti-English. I did did enjoy a lot of this. I I like the first half more than the second half. A lot of people I've seen... I feel the opposite. I like yeah. the second half when it kind of got a bit batshit. But here's a question. Did you see it at the cinema? Or no, stand? I didn't, and I wish I did. Yeah, this did is you know one from I really wish I had. The, the climax, and I'm not giving away any spoilers here with the Ned Kelly where he walks out he sort dies. Of with his two guns at the end. <laughs> yes. um, it was on that really hot night we had on Friday when I watched this and my internet died. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, not right at the very climax of this film. So I wish I had seen this in a cinema because that really spoiled my experience of watching this on a streaming service. Yeah, and it's a sensory mm. kind of yep. overload with strobe yes. lighting and thing that really would have had quite an yep. impact on a big screen. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I liked its intention, but I had very mixed feelings about a lot of the execution. But, yeah, like the whole punk rock thing. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. So you've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick Ford, Emma Westwood and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We discussed a whole bunch of movies, um, but you can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the shows we played on the Plato's Cave page at rrr.org.au right now. You can also subscribe. Oh, did I say Plato's? At the moment That's it's okay. the Plato's it's Cave page. It will change to Primal <laughs> Screen, but currently it still is the Plato's Cave page. You can also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Next week, we will check out The Lighthouse, Colour Out of Space and a retro title to be named later. A huge thank you uh, to Morty Osborne for editing our podcast. Thanks for listening to Triple R's Plato's Cave, a weekly radio show of informed, passionate and fun film criticism. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch with us via the Plato's Cave Facebook page, Twitter or via the Triple R website.